0: Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, we have a guest speaker here to share with us an encouraging message about Jesus. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started.
1: One whole verse, and generally I'm a little cautious about just taking a verse to teach on. But where this verse sits, you can do this because you can look at above it and below it, and this verse will stand alone. Obviously, it's connected to what's above and below. We'll be looking at in chapter, uh, excuse me, chapter five. We're going to be looking at. It's actually called three verses, but it's one sentence, and they're all very short verses, so it's not very long. So. I want to start out by prefacing that this word is a word for you tonight. It's also a word for me. And for some of you, it might be something new. Maybe you haven't really paid a lot of attention to this passage before. Probably for most of us, it will be a very familiar passage. And that maybe somehow we'll gain some kind of new insight or new understanding. For some of us, it might be something that... Uh, We'll just be a reminder, oh yeah, I forgot about that. That's the way I need to be. That's what the Lord wants me to do. Hopefully all of us will realize that it's something we should have been doing all along. It should be something you're doing right now. Something you should be doing tomorrow. And hopefully we'll make it plain that it's something you should be doing all the time. Sometimes we'll find it's very easy to do what this passage is going to tell us to do. Sometimes we're going to find it's very, very difficult to do what the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is asking us to do. There's actually going to be times that we struggle with it, even if that's what we want to do, we find it hard to do. And believe it or not, sometimes in our lives, we're just going to refuse to do it. But we're going to look at the word. It's important to get these words into our hearts and into our minds so that we can actually have a change of lifestyle attitudes and that we will actually come in more into line what Christ Jesus has for us. So I titled this "God's Will for You." Any of you interested in knowing what God's will is for you? There's a lot of scriptures that actually would could be captured under this heading, but tonight we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 16 through 18. So this comes shortly after the little passage where Paul has spent a little bit of time educating and encouraging the Thessalonians in regards to the coming of the day of the Lord. And right below that section in chapter five, there's like a lot of little bullet points where Paul just goes, bam, bam, bam. and puts out a lot of things for us to do and a few things not to do. But we're going to look at these things to do. As I say, it's three verses, one sentence. 16-18, through Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So these three things are God's will for you, they're God's will for me. Three verses, but only one sentence, and when we look at the structure of the sentence, it should be obvious that these three things are interrelated. They're not really separate things that you can pick and choose like a buffet. They should all be parts of our lives. Now, when it says rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, some of you might be thinking, well, Ray, that's easy for you to say, but remember this, I didn't say it. God did. So it's God's words talking, and I hope I stay with that method. It doesn't become a whole lot of Ray talking, but we stay with what God is trying to say to us tonight. But we might be thinking... Nobody understands what I'm going through. That could very well be the case. You could be going through extremely tough times right now. And probably some of you are. You may know people who are going through an extremely tough time. You've probably been through some tough times. And I don't know if the good news or the bad news, but you'll probably have a few more. So we're going to have those times in our lives that where we have struggles. And that's why it may be hard sometimes to put these things into practice. There'll be times where we're not going to feel like rejoicing. We're not going to feel like praying without ceasing. And we're certainly not going to feel like giving thanks. But let's look at these individually for a moment. We'll start with verse 16, where Paul writes extensively, Rejoice always. That's a whole verse. (laughs) So we talk about the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. I don't know this could be a candidate, but I guess Jesus wept I haven't counted, it might actually be a few fewer letters, so maybe it wins. But it's a whole verse, rejoice always. Then there's another one in Philippians where Paul says something very similar. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He wants them to get the idea they should be rejoicing. So regardless of circumstances, even in the most difficult of times, we are to rejoice, rejoice always. But you might ask, how do we possibly do that? Keep in mind that God is a sovereign ruler, and he will accomplish his will and his goals and his purposes. So Christian joy is not based on circumstances, but on a growing awareness of the Lord in our lives, and who he is. A growing awareness of our certain future life with Christ. And Christ does want us to be joy-filled. And he said this in John chapter 15 on the night of the Last Supper. He tells his disciples, As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. So Jesus said that if we keep his commands, we will have joy. Now interestingly enough, here in First Thessalonians, Jesus is actually speaking through Paul, and one of his commands is rejoice. So we are commanded to have joy. But we see where Jesus said, if we keep his commands, including the one that says rejoice, we will have joy. And you might think, well, that's pretty obvious. Yeah, if I rejoice, I have joy. And maybe that's the point. So we're not told just to rejoice when things are going good or we're having happy times. But this would include all times. We are even rejoice in sorrows. And how can we rejoice in sorrows? Because true joy in Christ is not based on our circumstances. Our circumstances change, but God never changes. Here's something I read, and and I think it'll come up on the screen, that Charles Spurgeon said. He had got it right. Sometimes I call him Sturgeon, but I got it right this time. Spurgeon said, I am bound to mention among the curiosities of the churches, that I have known many deeply spiritual Christian people who have been afraid to rejoice. Some take such a view of religion that it is to them a sacred duty to be gloomy. Turn this book over and see if there be any precept that the Lord said—excuse me—that the Lord has given to you in which you have said, "Groan in the Lord always," and again I say, "Groan." You may groan if you like, you have Christian liberty for that. But at the same time, do believe that you have larger liberty to rejoice, for so it has been put before you. So we have the opportunity to have joy. So let's look at verse 17 now of the main scripture, where Paul says, pray without ceasing. I think that's a very interesting verse to pray without ceasing. You know, a lot of us would say, if I ask, "How many of you pray enough?" and most of us would not put our hands up, you know, we don't think we pray enough. And usually we're thinking about praying, we're thinking about the time where we just dedicate, kind of like in a, our prayer closet, so to speak. you may not actually be in a closet, but you know what I mean, where you've you got a quiet place, and you're talking to the Lord, you're praying and you're spending that time with him. And I would probably suspect most of us could say we don't spend enough time doing that. But I'd also venture to say most of us probably don't do enough of the other that Paul's talking about, about praying continually. Keeping that in mind, we know that if we're praying continually, we can't bow our heads, we can't close our eyes, we can't fold our hands without ceasing. There's just some of those things that would not be practical to do. Please, if you're driving down the highway and you feel an urge to pray, do not close your eyes and fold your hands. So common sense tells us that we can't do those things, even though the apostle says, pray without ceasing. But keep in mind that things i mentioned there, those are customs of prayer. They're not really prayer in themselves. Prayer is where we communicate with God. And we can live each minute of the day in a constant, flowing conversation with God. I don't know if you've tried it. Paul tells us to do it. The more we do it, the easier it is actually to do it. And I think if you think about it and pause, probably a lot of times during the day, you sense God's presence. I hope. I know I do. You sense God with you. That makes it easier to be in prayer. You're kind of like in a constant communication. Obviously, we want to take those times in our prayer closet where we take time where we... Really get before the Lord and spend some serious time with Him. But if you think about it, there's some things that uh, have, there's some valuable implications from this command to pray without ceasing. So here's kind of a little list the use of the voice is not a mandatory element in prayer. So if we're praying without ceasing, we realize that there are situations where we may be praying, but we're not praying out loud. Makes common sense, right? There's just places you wouldn't do that. However, I would want to encourage you, I know from my own personal experience, that praying out loud, wherever you can and when you can, is extremely valuable. I know it is to me. It helps me to concentrate, keep my mind on what I'm praying about, and I have less tendency to want to drift off into other thoughts, or, or, or even the worst scenario is to go to sleep. Uh, so I find that useful. You may, too, also, to pray out loud. The posture, excuse me, another thing, the posture of prayer is not of primary importance. Obviously, if you're driving in your car, you're sitting here tonight, uh, you're sitting in a classroom ready to take a test, you're at a hospital, wherever it is, we don't have to get down on our needs. We can actually pray wherever we are. The place, the place of prayer is not of great importance, either. Unless we're trying to do the quiet time, the prayer closet, then that may become more critical that you find a place to do that. The particular time of the prayer is not important. It's not like we have to pray at uh, 9 o'clock and 1 o'clock and 5 o'clock. Paul is saying to pray continually, so the time is not important. And a Christian should never find themselves in a place where they can't pray. I can't think of a place, but maybe there's some places you would... Willingly put yourself, that you would find that you just sense that uh, right now I probably shouldn't be talking to the Lord because the Lord probably wouldn't even want me here, which might be the best time to start talking to the Lord so he can get you out of there. So praying without ceasing also includes that we are persistent and we're consistent. It also means that we are immediate in prayer. The shortest little prayer I know of in the Bible is in Matthew fourteen thirty. This was a very immediate prayer. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out loud, Lord, save me. I don't know how many of you have ever thought of that as a prayer, but that is a prayer. He's talking to the Lord, so it's a prayer. And uh, it was very short, and it was very effective. The Lord saved him. We probably have lots of moments like that in our lives, maybe not necessarily life and death, but lots of moments where uh, we would instantly ask the Lord to intervene on our behalf. So the more we pray, the more we're aware of the Lord, the more we're aware of His closeness and His love for us. Sometimes we don't know what to pray. Sometimes we feel we can't even pray. It's just like we don't know how to pray, we can't pray. But there's a scripture that gives us comfort in those times. And this is in Romans chapter 8. This is verse 26. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray, me, for, pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. There are times, yeah, we find it pretty easy to pray. We seem to sense do we have the right words to pray. Uh, I don't know. About you guys, but definitely, find times. Some things just strike me sometimes that I don't know what to say. Just get down. I get before the Lord, and I do have a clue what to say. But if you hang in there, I know in my case, and I think what Paul is trying to say here, you do feel like there's a communication going on between you and the Lord, and that is the Holy Spirit at that moment, intervening on your behalf, interceding on your behalf. So we can take. Comfort to know that just because we don't know how to pray or what to pray doesn't mean that prayer isn't taking place. But we do have to take that time out sometimes to be before the Lord and just let the Spirit make those groanings for us. But I also encourage you guys that uh, actually have the gift of tongues, which we find uh, is very helpful in our prayers. And and the Bible tells us that when we pray in tongues, we're praying to God. We can use that special gift that He has given us to also pray. And it's another one of those times we may not have a clue what we're praying about, but God, through the Holy Spirit, does know. So let's look now at verse 18 of this passage. Paul says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He doesn't say that we are to give thanks For everything, but to give thanks in everything. We recognize God's sovereign hand is in charge. We're not left to blind fate or to chance, but God is in charge. Thankfulness should characterize the Christian life in every circumstance. Again, it's not thanks for everything, but thanks in everything. And Paul says emphatically, and it applies to the thanks. It also applies to the other two things that this is God's will in our lives. Now you can find many scriptures in the Bible where we are encouraged to give thanks unto the Lord. So Paul is not expressing any kind of a new idea here. He's expressing something that's at the very heart of the people of God in a relationship with the Lord. But it's not always easy to be thankful. Sometimes we don't even have a thankful attitude when things are going really well. Sometimes we just take the good things that God gives us. We don't say thanks at all. We just uh, take things for granted, so to speak. But in James, in chapter 1, we get a little insight and education in this regard. James says, every good gift, this is in 117, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. So we need to recognize that all true gifts, excuse me, all good gifts truly come from the Father, and we should give thanks. We have a lot of good gifts to be thankful for. There are times we need to remind ourselves of the things to be thankful for, but one thing we can be thankful for is that God is always with us regardless of the circumstances. No matter what we're going through, He is with us. He may not remove the situation from us, He may not take us out of that situation, but He will be with us to see us through it. And we can be thankful for that. But failure to recognize the goodness of the Lord will eventually lead to unthankfulness, kind of the opposite of giving thanks. If We try to stay neutral in our thanksgiving very long, we may drift into unthankfulness. And unthankfulness will lead to complaining and to whining. We have examples of that in the book of Numbers, where Moses writes in chapter 11. He said, Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and His anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. God is not too happy with us complaining. In Numbers 14, we get some more insight into complaining. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? And if we were to look at the context there, the people were actually complaining against Moses and Aaron. But the Lord says, if you complain against the authority God has placed in your life, you're complaining against Him. And He takes that very seriously. So if we find ourselves complaining against our bosses, the true authorities in our lives, whether it be... Uh, anywhere around us, if we're complaining about them, and if we complain about the spiritual authority in our lives, God says we're complaining against Him, and He takes that very seriously. We see there one example where He burned a bunch of people up. So it's not a good thing. Philippians two fourteen is one more scripture on complaining and and. Uh, Paul writes here, do all things without complaining and without disputing. So complaining should not be a part of our lives. So uh, we really don't need a complaint department, so we shouldn't be complaining. Now we'll take a look. We looked at those verses, but let's take a look now at some of the things that uh, get in the way, the things that come across our paths or it might hinder us from um, doing what Paul has asked us to do here. And, you know, a lot of times when we have trials or things in our lives and things aren't going too well, we do try to put a uh, positive spin on things. And sometimes we'll even do that with our friends when they're going through something hard. We we'll try to come up with something to encourage them. I have one here I kind of like, but hopefully that we don't go to this extreme, where we would encourage our friends who's having some horrible time, and we would say, cheer up, old chap. At least not all of your kids fell off of the cliff. See, you don't have it so bad after all. Sometimes we we try to encourage. We might think we're doing really good, but sometimes when we really try to look to the bright side for somebody else. Sometimes it sounds very harsh to the other person. If you want to find a bright side for yourself, that's okay. But we have to be very cautious and have the leading of the Holy Spirit when we try to find a bright side for somebody else. Because there are things that happen in our lives. You know this personally that are really, really serious. So even when we try to look for uh, the silver lining or the bright side, we don't want to do it at the expense of rightly considering how severe the situation really is. Now, knowing how severe it is should not take away our joy, but it should give us the right frame of mind and the right regard for what we're in. So some trials are very, very painful and difficult. But even in the midst of those, God's Word still stands. God's Word does not change. Trials come from various sources. This one you're probably familiar with. Jesus told us that in this world we would have tribulations. So many of the things that try us are because we belong to Christ. And the world and the powers and principalities of the air hate us. Christ said that they hate Him. They're going to hate us. But sometimes the trials are of our own making. Sometimes we get ourselves in our own messes. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, we see where Peter touches on both of these scenarios. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, You may also be glad, with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in this matter. I always thought it's fascinating that Paul listens to very, very what we consider serious offenses there: a murderer, a thief, an evildoer. And then he sticks in that other one there about being a busybody, right in the midst of that. So it looked to me like the Lord considers her being a busybody pretty severe. Being a busybody obviously stirs up trouble for other people. And if we suffer because of that, or from these other types of things in our lives, then there's nothing for us to joy in or rejoice in. It's like we're getting what we deserve. And Paul goes, or me, Peter goes into more detail about that in this same chapter about if we get what we ask for, there's no glory in that. But if we suffer because we're Christ, he says, we can actually glory in that. Now I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, uh, Peter and John, I believe it was, they got got, um, not only chastised, but whipped for preaching the word of Christ and told not to preach anymore. And then when they went out, it says they were rejoicing. Those guys were happy, said they were rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ's sake. Some things that try us or the trials we have in our lives are actually discipline from the Lord himself. And we see an example in Psalm 119, verse 67, where the psalmist writes, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. That's short, very meaningful, powerful, if you think about it. You know, we see that with our children, right? We hope that before they were afflicted, they were going astray, but now they want to do what's right. And that's the same way it is with the Lord with us. And to kind of go along with that, In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer says, and he's actually quoting most of this out of the Old Testament, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Notice that we are called to endure the Lord's chastening and that there will be an end result where we have the peaceable fruit of righteousness. We can rejoice in that. We can give thanks to that, that the Lord loves us enough to correct us. Now the word says that we love our children enough to correct them, but God loves us even more, so he's definitely going to correct his children. I think in that passage, it also goes on to say that if there's no correction going on in your life, you might want to consider whether you're even actually a child of God. Then there are things that are common to mankind. You know, the word says the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. There's things that come our way that are trials just because you are, you are alive. So there will be some of those things that happen to you. So we see that we get trials and tribulations come from different sources. They can come our way from the world and the principalities. They can come from our own doing. They can come from the Lord's hand as correction. And they can come from things that are just common to being a man or a woman. But there are times that we really have no clue as to why this event, this trial, is going on in our lives. And these, might call them, why Lord moments or times in our lives. And those are probably the toughest to endure because we really can't put a handle on why we're going through what we're going through. And so that could be some of the hardest times for us to rejoice always, to give thanks in everything, and to pray without ceasing. We might be a little more inclined during those times to pray, but sometimes, I don't know about you guys, sometimes there's situations where, personally, I found it's even hard to pray. It's like just getting down that much, knowing you should, wishing you could. And that's why it's very important that we have brothers and sisters we're involved with, that we can let them know how low we are, that they can try to build us back up. They can be praying for us, interceding for us. We do go through those times At least I speak for myself. We can also be certain, though, that the Lord knows about everything we're going through. There's no surprises to him. He knows what's going on. And the good news is, he said he would never forsake us and he would never leave us. Even in the darkest moments of our lives, there he is. Sometimes we don't discern the root of what's going on in our trials, but know this. The Lord wants to accomplish His purpose in our lives, regardless of what the cause is or what the root of the problem is. He still wants us in all those times to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. In fact, James has a, I think it's an interesting verse, I always found it interesting, that in chapter 1, James says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So the trials that come into our lives serve a purpose. So knowing that, this is why it's important for us, especially in the good times in our lives, to get the word of God in us, get it firmly set, so that it comes to our mind when we really need it the most. And obviously we need to be doing all these things all the time, Paul said. But there's times that we really need to press in to be able to rejoice and to pray and to give thanks. So trials in our lives can produce godly character. And they will produce such character if we see them and respond to them the way God wants us to. Trials also reveal character. Sometimes our character needs to be revealed before it can be changed What's that say about, you don't know a Christian, and I'll blow this one, but what kind of they are until you put them in hot water, kind of like a tea teabag. So, and that happens to us. Our character is revealed as we're going through tough times. So our trials can reveal what we're really made of. And how we handle the trials is a large part of our testimony. People are watching. They watch us in these trials. Because everybody in the world has... Trials and tribulations too. And they're watching us. How do we respond? It's a large part of our testimony. In Romans 8, 28 through 29, we see some more about what's going on here and what God is trying to do in our lives. I think we're probably all familiar with Romans eight twenty-eight, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. This is one of those times where I mentioned earlier that I'd be cautious sometimes about just taking a single verse out of the Scripture, even though this can be done and is used a lot. But I think we really need to understand the verse after it so that we don't have a misconception about what the good is that God is trying to work in our lives. Verse 29 tells us what that good is. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. It's God's intent that we be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Part of the way He accomplishes that is by the things we go through in our lives. So all through trials and tribulations, the Lord wants to, to display the attributes of His Son that we've already gained. So if we've gained any attributes in Christ, He wants those on display. If we discover as we're going through that we're missing some of the attributes of Christ, he wants us to recognize that and gain those attributes. So in all the things that's happening to us, the good that God is working in our lives is to make us more like His Son. So again, I'll emphasize it's important that we know these scriptures, that we understand them, and we get them firmly etched into our minds. And we need to continue into them. And it's important, again, that these become life attitudes and they become a lifestyle, the way we live. So as we talk about this, we're not really saying to anybody, okay, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get on with it. But we're also not, in the negative sense, when we look at it, we realize somebody is not doing exactly what they should be doing. We don't go, okay, what's your problem, man? So we don't want to be on one of those, at those extremes. But when we know the word, and we know we're not responding to the word the way the Lord wants us to respond, then we know some specific things that the Lord wants to change in us. So we have some real ideas of what to come to the Lord about. Lord, I failed in this, I failed in this, I failed in this. As I went through this trial, I need that help in my life. We also can turn to our brothers and sisters and ask them to pray for us on our behalf that we respond the way Christ wants us to respond in the circumstances we go through. But there are, here's a list of some things that hinder us from rejoicing, praying, or thinking. And some of these things might be chronic conditions, and some of them might be temporary conditions. One of the big ones, I really believe is right there at the top, we have unforgiveness. They're just things that we won't let go of. We have a hardness of heart. Cynicism, we're just cynical. Might have bitterness. And usually bitterness comes because we don't have forgiveness. And sometimes the unforgiveness goes on so long, it turns into bitterness that if you tried to analyze where your bitterness came from, you couldn't put your finger on it because it's been too long. It took root. And that's what the Bible calls it, a root of bitterness. There's another one I think is very important. The company we keep, the Bible talks about the company we keep. You can spend too much time with negative people or people that are just unthankful in general. Now, sometimes we may be forced into some situations like that. And it doesn't mean that we turn away completely from people like that, because we may want to have a positive influence in our life. But just realizing that if you hang around with people that complain and criticize and are negative all the time, it tends to bring you down too. Disbeliefs that God is in control. Sometimes we just wonder, Lord, where are you? You can't be in this. But God is there and God is in control. We might have disbelief that He works everything for the good or for our good. As we talked about a while ago, we need to understand what that means, that good that God's working it toward. We might have a hard time with rejoicing or being thankful or being prayerful because we've been offended or maybe we've taken up an offense for somebody else. That means we've since seen somebody else that we thought was hurt or somebody did them wrong, and so we take up an offense on their behalf. This one is actually tougher in some ways than you have feeling an offense yourself because now you can deal with that between you and whatever the person, whatever, whoever the person was that offended you. But I've seen it in my life, maybe you have too, where... Um, as an observer, you see something going on where somebody's offended, somebody you really, really care about, whether it be a good friend or a family member, and you go away, you're really ticked toward one of those people so you're offended by them. Those two people may get it all worked out, and here you are, you're still on the outside, and now you have an offense. So we have to be very careful about picking up somebody else's offense and running off with it. Sometimes we're offended by the Lord himself. Jesus doesn't always answer our prayers the way we want him to answer them. We may resent the fact that we have certain things going on in our life, and we know that the Lord has allowed those because the word tells us. But we don't like them, so we're kind of a little ticked off at the Lord. Or maybe we see one of our friends or neighbors or family members going through something tough, and we don't appreciate the fact the Lord's letting them go through it either. So we can be offended by God. If you guys remember the story of John the Baptist when he was in prison, and I know you've heard this many times, that he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one? Even though John has proclaimed more than once that he is the one. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So his disciples go and they ask Jesus and Jesus tells them the things he's been doing, report these back to John because John, knowing the scriptures, would know that the things Jesus had been doing are the things that the Old Testament prophets said that the Messiah would be doing, but he also said an interesting thing. He said he actually basically said, "Tell John not to be offended because of me." John was the forerunner; he was the voice of the one crying in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. And here he was in prison. I don't know if he knew at that point that he was about to die, but he was going to die very shortly. But he's in prison. And we kind of get the impression of what Jesus said, whether John was acting this way, but the tendency could be that John would be offended because God has not treated him fairly. has not rewarded him fairly for the work he's been doing. We could be that way in our own lives. It's not fair, Lord. I, I know a brother of mine, brother in the Lord, who a while back, his wife was going through some illnesses, and he, he, he made a statement to me, he says, we just can't figure out why we're going through this after all the years we've served the Lord. So he was actually offended toward the Lord because of what was going on in his life. We could be the same way. Because we might feel like because I've done this or I've done that, I've lived a really good life, I've tried to serve you all my life, and now I have a hard time, but not to take it out on the Lord. We don't know a lot of times why we're going through those things. That's why it's important for us to have these scriptures entrenched in us that the Lord is trying to make us more like Christ even if our lives are on the line. So we've got two or three more scriptures to look at to support this main scripture of rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. In Philippians chapter 4, 8 and 9, Paul writes here, Finally, brethren, Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Paul telling us we're responsible for what we think about and he tells us some of the things to think about or at least he shows us the quality or the characteristics of the things that we're to think about and meditate on. And I bring this verse in. There's one also in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Paul says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So we have a responsibility for what's running around in our minds up there. And if we've been thinking on good things, the things that are noble, the things that are pure, the things that are just... I really believe in the long run, it kind of goes along with Romans 12:2, where he tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. If we meditate on the good things, it helps change our outlook, change our attitudes. Also, it's going to help us in the praying without ceasing, to rejoice always, and in everything to give thanks. In Philippians 4, 6 and 7, Paul wrote this, he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So Paul says something not to do. Don't be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. I guess another way to say it is don't be anxious about anything. And what does he do? He gives us something to substitute. If we have a tendency or uh, might feel like we need to be anxious, Paul has a remedy for it. He says that everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So here we have two of those things again. We've got the prayer and we have thanksgiving. Let your request be made to God, known to God. And what do we get out of it? We get the peace of God, which passes all understanding. And that peace of God comes in and says it guards our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. How many times have you just needed that peace of God that passes all understanding? And sometimes we don't have that peace of God because we're anxious. We haven't used the remedy for anxiousness. We haven't turned to the Lord himself with prayer and with thanksgiving. I think we all know by now in our Christian walk that we are called to do God's will. And anytime we realize we're not in alignment with God's will, we're in alignment with his purpose, If we don't have the proper attitudes, our actions are not right, we actually have an opportunity to begin to correct those things. The recognition of what's going on in our lives that don't line up, it's a good thing to know that. We don't change and grow in the Lord when we are oblivious to what we're doing wrong in our lives. If we don't realize we have the wrong attitudes, or even our actions are wrong, we're not going to change. But we do need to be honest with ourselves. We need to be honest with God. Actually, God already knows it, but we need to confess to Him truthfully how we are, what's going on in our lives. So we need to admit these things, confess them, repent of them. And here's a good one. Rely on the Holy Spirit for it to be accomplished in our lives. God has not left us to our own devices or to our own power. He has given us the Holy Spirit within us. So if we walk into flesh, that means we will be trying to do everything ourselves. So we've heard some good words tonight, but He's not leaving us to just try to do them in ourselves. We have the Holy Spirit to accomplish these things. So back to our main scripture for tonight. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Paul gives us these exhortations, to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. And he tells us to do it because it is the will of God. So this is the will of God for you, it's the will of God for me. And the thought isn't so much that this is God's will, so you must do it. We might rather think of it this way. This is God's will, and you can do it. God doesn't tell us to do things or ask us to do things that we can't do without the power of the Holy Spirit. In the Philippians, I didn't put this one down, but you know, in Philippians, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. And he means I can do all things that Christ has asked me to do He he can't necessarily do all things that God didn't ask him to do, but he can do all things God asks him to do. And that's true for us. If God's asked you to do something and we've looked at some things tonight, he's asked us to do. He's asked us to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, to give thanks in all things. We can do those because we have God's power in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We can do it because it's God's will, and he provides the power to do it. So I guess on our behalf, what it comes down to is do we want to do it? Do we have the motivation to do it? There may be some of us in here tonight that's going through some really tough times. And as I mentioned, as we're going along, you may have a hard time rejoicing right now, even though now you know the word tells you to rejoice. You might have a hard time praying about the situation going on in your life. You might really have a hard time about praying with faith. You may really find it hard to be given any kind of thanks right now. And I, so I would encourage you to try, you know, but also encourage you to reach out to your brothers and sisters, maybe to pastors and elders for prayer, okay? Uh, it's okay, you know. We're going to have Rick and John and I will probably be up here to pray with anybody who wants prayer. But it's okay too to have somebody else pray with you. We don't have a monopoly on effective prayer. I hope we never do have a monopoly on effective prayer. But we can pray for one another. You know, and I, that's one thing that I love about this, this church is I see that happening a lot. But sometimes you may feel like it's good to come up and have one of us to pray with you. And that's great. That's what we're up here for. But also encourage you to pray for yourselves. Paul says to pray continually. I can't be with you praying for you continually. You can be with yourself continually. The Holy Spirit is with you continually. And I've come over the last few weeks or so to realize that there's a lot of people that don't really even pray. It might just be a once-in-a-while thing, just an occasional thing. And I'm not necessarily talking about the prayer closet time, which is very important. We need that. And that might be a good place to start practicing. But these, are, as Paul talks here, a lifestyle, something we do, regardless of where we are. We don't have to go to a special place, a special time, but to get in a special position, just to have communication with the Lord. The Holy Spirit is in us, so the we don't have to pray very far for it to be picked up. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us in that. I want to encourage you that if you happen to be one of those that say, man, I don't you know how to pray, don't know how to talk to the Lord at all. If you know how to talk to a human being, you can talk to the Lord. Just have a conversation. And if the Lord thinks you need to change in any way to shape or form of the way you're praying or how you pray, He'll lead you into that. It's different, you know, if you try to come up and pray in front of a group. I realize a lot of people don't want to do that. That's just fine. But I really want to encourage you. Pray for yourself. You and the Lord, pray for yourself. And if you have an opportunity, pray with a brother and a sister or family member. If that can become a habit in your life, do that. That's very encouraging, too. But I say, I have come to realize there are some people who don't even pray but themselves very often. And we need to. We need to spend that time. And it's too easy sometimes to say, well, the Lord knows what I need anyway. And the Bible tells us that. He knows our requests before we even make them. But it also tells us the Lord's waiting for us to make those requests. He wants us to pray. He wants us to talk to Him. And it's not always about I want something or I need something. Sometimes our prayers are just talking like you would talk to your Father. And He is our Father. He's our Heavenly Father. And the Scripture says, we call him Abba, Father. It's kind of like Daddy, yeah. and that doesn't. We don't do that with irreverence. We don't take that relationship as, as the same necessarily we would a human level. Yeah, there's some definitely something divine about it. And there's something uh, holy about that relationship. But the Lord wants us to approach Him as you would your Father, a loving Father. So I want to encourage us all to do that, and I definitely want to encourage us that we would take this little passage to heart that we could get to that point where we rejoice always. Our, our joy is not based on circumstances. That we can pray without ceasing everywhere we go and to give thanks at everything knowing that maybe I'm not too happy with the situation I'm in but I can certainly be thankful that the Lord is going to use this situation to make me more like Christ. So as I close with prayer, we'll have Gabe come back up to lead us to some worship. i would ask John and Rick to come up and be available for prayer. So Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your loving kindness.
0: We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time. And remember, Jesus loves you and so do we.